Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into The Lion King on today's retrospective episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've done a retrospective episode. Uh, I've been a lot really concerned with the new stuff and haven't had a lot of time to revisit old things. But fortunately for me, The Lion King was re-released in a local theater nearby. And I was able to get a chance to go out and see it. And so I thought I'd I'd do a little review, kind of review, kind of statistics, kind of retro episode on the whole thing. And kind of go through my take on the film and it's kind of the way it's impacted me. And, you know, I think of all the movies to talk about, uh, this is a really good one because it is so central of an, uh, of an iconography to the podcast itself. You know, the circle of film, the circle of life. Uh, my intro, you know, step into whatever the thing we're talking about is. And that's part of the lyrics from Circle of Life. So... Uh, clearly, this is um, a film that means a lot to me, and uh, it's about time that I really talk about it more in depth than just kind of letting it sit in passing. So, uh, yeah, The Lion King, released in 1994, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, it holds a place in a lot of people's hearts, and... Uh, I don't know, before, well, let's hold on, before we get into the actual emotion and all that kind of thing, the reaction, the review of the whole film and, and how I feel about it, uh, just kind of go over all the credits that are deserved, and there are a lot, so, uh, you know, generally, you look at a movie, one writer, two writers, uh, you look at some of the Marvel films, they got like five or six on them, you know, trying to keep things in harmony with with that universe but animated films tend to generally skew a little bit higher in terms of how many people are on the story and screenplay the lion king has like 25 names attached to it <clears throat> so irene mecky jonathan roberts and linda wolverton are credited for writing the screenplay bernie mattinson barry johnson lorna cook tom enriquez Andy Gaskill, Gary Truesdale, Jim Cap- Capobianca, Kevin Harkey, Jorgen Klubian, Chris Sanders, Tom Cito, Larry Lecker, Joe Ramped, Rick Maki, Ed Gombert, Francis Glebus, and Mark Kausler are all credited for the story. And then you've got J.T. Allen, George Scribner, Miguel Tejada Flores, Jenny Tripp, Bob Tzadiker, Christopher Vogler, Kirk Wise and Noni White, uh, I credit for additional story material. And finally, Brenda Chapman, who was the story supervisor, uh, which is an insane amount of amount of names to be attached to the story of a movie. And more often than not, the more names you have attached to the writing and story of a movie, the less cohesive and less narratively sound the story becomes and in this case 
I find that there's really none of that in The Lion King. I, you know, watching it this time, it struck me at how frequently there were lines that were paid off later in the movie. Uh, when you have, <clears throat> you know, one of the big best examples would be Scar tells Simba uh, to run away, run away and never return. And later on, towards the climax of the film, you have Simba to say the same thing back to Scar. Uh, or just, or, or the way that Nala pins Simba twice when they're kids, and then she pins him again as adults, and that's how Simba recognizes her. Or, oh man, there were so many others I remember recognizing. I, I don't know, it's just like, there's there's a lot of those in, in this movie, and it, it really, I don't know, it really brings the whole movie together into, like, this This is actually a thing, like, this is this is a co cohesive, concise, and story from beginning to end that has these moments where, you know, you kind of do this in real life. You know, somebody says something to you, you like what the way they phrased it, or you don't like the way they phrased it, and then you later on use it uh, b back at that person, or or when you are in a similar situation, you remember that phrasing and that exact way of saying something. And The Lion King has that. It's, it's very pronounced and... and I like it. It's really good. It's really good. Okay, okay, okay. So beyond the writers, you have one of the most impeccable voice casts of all time. Uh, you, know, you know, this was around the era where animated films really started to incorporate, uh, you know, actual A-list celebrities to be their to be their voice actors, and I don't think anyone did it better than The Lion King. Um, as far as, yeah, as far as A-list celebrities go, like, no one did it better than Lion King. And you had, and, you know, it's a musical, so you also had to have this element of, these people have to be able to sing, for the most part. And, you know, that's tricky. But, man, Lion King pulls it off in spades. Uh, so, <clears throat> as far as the credits order go, and this is, uh, alphabetically, you have Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, as Zazu. You have Matthew Broderick as Adult Simba. You have Jim Cummings as Ed. Uh, Jim Cummings, who voices Ka and voices Winnie the Pooh uh, for Disney as well. You have Whoopi Goldberg as Shenzi. Uh, Robert Guillaume, uh, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, as Rafiki. Jeremy Irons, iconically as Scar. James Earl Jones, more iconically as Mufasa. Moira Kelly as Na Adult Nala. Nathan Lane as Timon. Cheech Marin as Banzai. Ernie Sabella as Pumbaa. Madge Sinclair as Sarabi. Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas as Young Simba. Uh, you even have Frank Welker, who does The Lion Roars. It's just everybody. You know, it's it's <clears throat> the perfect congregation of just impeccable, recognizable voices, but such talented voice actors in their own rights that 
you know, with very few, very few exceptions while watching the movie, you don't really get taken out and think about whose voices these people are. And, and that's, that's a testament to how good they are. Like, that's kind of the point. That's what you are looking for in a voice actor most of the time. I'm, you know, I, I, it, it, this is my favorite movie from 1994 uh, by a small margin. And one of my favorite animated films of all time, not my favorite animated film of all time. And, you know, I wouldn't even say necessarily my, my favorite voice work in an animated film of all time, but I think it's, it's got some of the most iconic voice work that's ever been in, in, in a movie. You know, you've got uh, James Earl Jones, and I would say, for a lot of people, he is as recognizable as Mufasa as he is as Vader. Like, that's insane. Like, Star Wars came out 15 years before this, and for, you know, an animated lion where he gets, I don't know, a dozen lines maximum to be just as memorable and just as remembered as the like one of the most iconic villains and characters in the world like that's crazy and for me like there's there's definitely an equal standing and parallel level of ground to be to be tread there you know i i'm just you know it's just just even hearing that voice again and and it just it just washes over you and, and you know everything the light touches is just it's perfect it's so perfect for him and i just it's the casting in this is great and precise and perfect and the idea and the notion that something like that could happen again you know with this sort of live action cgi film that's coming out in a couple of years is almost ludicrous and yet each new piece of casting news I hear from the next, from this remake that's coming out, seems perfect. And that's inspiring. Like, I, I, you know, Donald Glover can totally be Simba. And uh, they, they have who? Um, oh, shoot. Uh, there's Seth Rogen as Pumbaa, I think is perfect. You have... I'd have to, I might have to look this up to actually go through the names, and that's not what we're here to do. Hold on a second. Okay, I pulled it up. <clears throat> <clears throat> Seth Rogen is Pumbaa. Donald Glover is Simba. Currently, we're rumored to have Chiwetel Ejiofor as Scar, which I think is fantastic. Billy Eichner as Timon. Uh, might have to dial it down a little bit from a lot of the characters I've seen him play, but I think he can totally pull that off. James Earl Jones reprising as Mufasa. And... John Oliver as Zazu is also, I think, a fantastic decision. So somehow, like these people are are still like kind of the newer, like twenty years later versions. Or geez, gosh, it's been twenty five. It'll be twenty five years later, and I think they're just as good choices as the original films were. You know, that's that's really difficult to do. Uh, you know, I don't think Beauty and the Beast pulled that off as well. Uh, but we'll see if, if the Lion King is, is capable. Um, I don't know. Back to the original one, though. Um, outside of the cast, 
The film was nominated for four Oscars. Um, it was nominated for Best Original Score for Hans Zimmer and won. It was nominated for Best Original Song for Hakuna Matata, Circle of Life, and Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Winning for Can You Feel the Love Tonight for Elton John and Tim Rice. <clears throat> uh, so it won about as many awards as it could. Uh, and, you know, for an animated film, and, and, you know, that's kind of a legacy of animated films in the sort of best music, original score, original song categories that they have uh, done very well in those categories. Like, Lion King was far more, more than deserving. I personally would have probably voted for Circle of Life over Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But... I don't know. It's you know, there all the songs in this movie are so good. Uh, beyond these these three, you also have uh, "Just Can't Wait to Be King." Uh, you have Scar's song "Be Prepared," um, and it's just it's so fun. It like all these songs are 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 just iconic, and they're in the zeitgeist, and and almost everyone knows them to some degree. You know, you can start singing the the Circle of Life, and you know everyone knows what song it is. You know how many times, like how many songs, just invigorate you the way that the Circle of Life does. It's it's uh, it's it's unparalleled, I think, in terms of the emotion that it creates, uh, and it's 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 wonderful. It's it's fantastic. Uh, um, looking at the Golden Globes, and this is something I don't think I knew, uh, is that The Lion King actually won Best Motion Picture Comedy or Musical that year. So I don't know what it was up against. I'm going to look, though. Let's see. It was up against The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, Ed Wood, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and Ready to Wear, uh, which is a huge... Like, that's crazy good, you know, not... You know, animated films don't really get nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Uh, they get a little bit more of a, a little bit more leeway in comedy or musical in the Golden Globes, and I'm not sure that many have won that category. To be honest, I'd have to look that up, but that's huge, huge, huge for The Lion King to have won that. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. It's a great. I'm really that makes me that makes me feel really happy. All of a sudden. But let's get into the actual movie for a second. Well, for the rest of the episode, most likely. Um, first and foremost, it's incredibly obvious that this is a close adaptation to the story of Hamlet, Shakespeare's most, one of his most notable plays. Uh, it's, it's a frequent topic of conversation when you're discussing some of the most con complex and convoluted characters ever written uh you know hamlet and the lion king borrows a lot from it you know they both are young princes ready to inherit the pride lands the kingdom and their uncle murders their father taking and takes over instead uh the diff you know one of the key differences in the two movies is that simba runs away uh, you know, he does exactly what Scar tells him to and runs as far away from the Pride Lands as he can. And 
that's not what happens to uh to, to, to hamlet you know hamlet is still there and they he's still trying to figure out you know what happens and that they both are they're both kind of coming to terms with the truth in their own different ways uh you know they have to figure out like that their uncle is the one who murdered their father you know they both see visions of their father's ghosts they both wrestle with being who they are or who they were born to be and it's a it's a difficult journey for each for each of them uh, the second of the two key differences between Hamlet and the Lion King is that everyone really dies at the end of Hamlet. You know, almost everybody dies. And you can't really do that in a kid's movie. Uh, not a PG kid's movie anyway. You know, Rogue One does it, but that's a little different. And so the Lion King took a much different uh, direction with its ending. And one that's more inspiring, uh, it gives Simba a much more redemptive arc. And, you know, it's it's got that brilliant, brilliant vocal uh, background layer of music as Simba ascends Pride Rock um, in the rain. And, you know, just have to, having just conquered Scar and the hyenas, you know, he... He basically announces his return to the rest of the kingdom, to the Pride Lands. And it's just, it, it fills you with so much positive and hopeful emotion. You know, that is truly one of, you know, the most invigorating scenes in, in, in cinema, let alone anything else. Uh, but the idea that Simba has to return... And, you know, he spends all this time away from this conflict, away from Scar, away from what's going on at the Pride Lands, away, you know, he, he's told to run away, he does run away, and he runs into, you know, Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, you know, he, he enjoys this time away, like, he, it's not like he's sad, like, not being there, you know, Hakun Matata, he's enjoying himself, he's loving, he, he's transitioning into someone who eats grub and not meat the same way that like like every other lion in the world he is happy with his you know surrogate like family timon and pumbaa and like it says there's no worries like he's just fine until uh you know and and here's something this is probably my 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 most off-sighted and my biggest problem and critique with the film is that it never hints enough at Simba's distress and Simba's discomfort with what transpired and his father and all that stuff. There's one moment that the movie really gives you and that's Simone, Timon, Simba and Pumbaa uh, lying in the grass looking up at the stars, and they each go through and explain what they each think it is, what they each think the, those stars mean. And here's another, this is another callback. I, you know, Mufasa explains to Simba early in the movie, you know, the stars are ancient kings of the past. And Simba relates this, this uh, analysis to Timon and Pumbaa, who kind of laugh at him. 
and Timon refers indirectly and, and unknowingly to Mufasa as a mook, but, and, you know, Simba kind of, like, huffs and walks away, and Timon's like, well, is it something I said? But that's it. That's, like, all you really get until Nala reappears. And I wish that they had spent a little more time trying just maybe one more note to really show us that this is something that he's on his mind a lot. And because it doesn't seem to be, you know, he's just kind of dancing across this log and growing up and nothing's changing. He doesn't show any emotions other than enjoyment. So when Nala arrives, uh, and, and this is kind of, everything's finally brought to the forefront, and these are scenes that are written, in my opinion, these are my, some of my favorite scenes in the movie. The The scenes between Nala and Simba really are written so well, because in these scenes, the movie has to, one, convince Simba to go back, or at least plant the seed in his head enough that he will consider it. Uh, it also has to, two, convey to Simba that what's happened since then, which we, the viewer, already know, because we've seen scenes from Pride Rock already. Uh, it has to introduce Nala and this entire other world to Timon and Pumbaa, and it has to do it without feeling like an incredible exposition, like 30-minute-long exposition monologues. And it does it incredibly well. It doesn't beat you over the head with what's happening. It's pretty quick-fire. Uh, Timon and Pumbaa provide a lot of levity and, and lighten the mood quite a bit, and I think some, some of the best written scenes uh, in the movie. I think... I think that, that Scar is the best written character in the movie. I think everything about him is perfect, but I think these scenes are some of my favorite for this reason. Like, they're just so perfectly layered in, in just this, just the right amount as, you know, Nala, he's like, look, you're the king, you have to come back. And Simba's like, no, you don't understand. And he won't tell her, and she's like, why won't you just listen to me, and, like, like I'm here, like, why won't you tell me, I'm, I'm, you know, we want you, we need you to come back, ah, uh, just, it just, it sucks, but it's, it's such good writing, it sucks, though, to, like, watch Simba ignore what we know he needs to do, and so, you know, we know that, meanwhile, in the Pride Lands, Everything's dead. The lions have overhunted. Everyone's starving. And the hyenas are angry. Scar's not really doing anything about it. And, you know, that's troubling. Like, so Scar's clearly very smart. And, you know, he was able to get to make himself king relatively easily. I would say, you know, it did not take a ton of effort, but it seems as though almost like his plan ended there. Like he wasn't thinking far enough ahead to like, well, what am I going to do afterward? What is the plan once I become king? How am I going to rule the kingdom successfully? And that's incredibly short-sighted. You know, it's, it's, Reminded of kind of like the line of from the Dark Knight where Joker says, you know, he's like a dog chasing a car, but he wouldn't know what to do if he caught it. 
Except, you know, I would expect Scar to have a little bit more of a, an idea of what to do when he got, when he accomplished his goal. You know, he's not the kind of character that's meant to fight Mufasa for the rest of his life, you know. He successfully wins in a relatively short amount of time once he puts his plan together. And it's only... You know, who knows how long it takes Mufa or uh, Simba to grow up, you know, two years, five years, ten years, and whatever amount, you know, it's not like a month, it's not a short turnaround, but in a mm, not a huge lengthy, lengthy period of time, everything's gone to waste, everything's turned to dust, everything has become awful, and, you know, Sarabi tells him, like, look, like, there's nothing else for us to hunt, we, we hunted far too many animals, they're all dead, what are we going to do now? And, and Scar just looks at her and says, you're going to figure it out. And she's like, no, you're going to kill us all. And he's like, well, so be it. And that, that couldn't have been his plan, could it? You know, like, he, he must have had a better idea of what was going to happen once he became king. Like, maybe he just didn't realize about overhunting and how fastly the animals were going to die out. But merging the hyenas and the lions together seems foolhardy. And that's and I guess that kind of that speaks to sort of Scar's overconfidence, you know. He he looks down at Mufasa and it's very clear when he throws him off the cliff that He's like he he leans down and he's like, "Long live the king!" And Mufasa has a moment of realization, like, "No, my brother is killing me right now," and he doesn't have anything he can do about it. And when Scar does this again with Simba and tells him that he's the one who killed Mufasa, you know, Simba is able to actually do something. He's not so far gone. He's not so far trapped. He's not. Uh, just completely out of the realm of, of inaction that he's able to overtake Scar and, and use this overconfidence against him. And I guess, and like, it's then, it goes kind of an extension from that, you know, Scar doesn't respect any of the lions because none of them respected him when he was there and they kind of just ignored him for the most part. He doesn't respect the hyenas. They're just tools for, that he used to get to become king. And then it's it's that disrespect that is ultimately his undoing. You know, that's why the hyenas attack him, kill him uh, at the end of the movie. That's why, you know, no one really understands and listens to him and, and what he does for the most part you know he has that sort of conniving and brute strength behind him in the the pack of hyenas that are for the most part doing anything he says until Simba returns and that's why the lions will listen to him but outside of that he doesn't really have much he's he's very smart but that only can get him so far in this movie and you look at sort of, he he mentions this when he's talking to Zazu, 
with Mufasa standing right there, you know, he's not as strong as, as his brother, but he's got the intelligence. He's very smart. And not that Mufasa's dumb, and Scar's clearly not a weak weakling, uh, but there's definitely a significant disparity there. And I think that we see this in the climax, like, and we see this sort of in the back end of the movie, Scar treats Simba the same way he would have treated Mufasa if Mufasa had returned. Um, he treats him like the sort of jock, all muscle, uh, brute force kind of lion, and that's not really what Simba is. Uh, you know, Simba has a far different experience in life than Mufasa had. And, you know, maybe he's, he's I don't, don't, wouldn't ever say that Simba's as intelligent as Scar or as conniving or cunning, but he has a far different perspective on the world than Mufasa did. And Mufasa spent his entire life in the Pride Lands. He was king. He ruled fairly and justly, it appears to be, like everything was green and happy. Whereas Simba has never been king, doesn't really know the first thing about it, except that he was prince, and has spent most of his life with a surrogate family, living outside of the, the realm of, of Pride Rock. And I think it's this unique perspective, like he sees things from an outsider's point of view, but that's how Scar saw things in the beginning. Like Scar was outside of the main pride. He was not, you know, he was living out in that crevice in the rocks, not, he wasn't sleeping with the rest of the lions. And it's, I think that lets Simba kind of get a better idea of what Scar's feelings were and, and he understands the situation a lot better than Mufasa ever did. You know, Mufasa, as smart as he was, you know, you could clearly tell from his conversation with Simba early in the movie about, you know, the circle of life and everything the light touches. You know, he's not as, as dumb as a brick, but he never really had the same perspective that his brother had. He didn't understand Scar. He was never going to understand Scar. And I think that's what sets him and Simba apart. Like Simba clearly his <laughs> clearly grew up in his father's image and you know, look they look almost the same. You know, Simba's a little shallower in the face. But he's he's got this additional level of, of perspective that I think benefits him greatly when he's dealing with Scar and trying to understand exactly what he needs to do. Because you think of that final confrontation between Simba and Scar, and it's basically Scar just like verbally berating him, like clearly talking circles around Simba. And he could have talked circles around Mufasa as well in the same situation, but at the same time, like Mufasa wouldn't have let him do that. He would have struck back. He would have, you know, fo used force probably a lot so quicker than Simba did. And yet Simba doesn't really do that. He he admits what he thinks the truth is to the to the dismay of everyone around him. And he is 
incredibly, incredibly dis depressed and disappointed in himself and wants to atone and 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 ask beg for forgiveness for what happened but he he knows that despite the fact that he believes he's made this horrible horrible mistake and misstep he's the one who needs to fix things he's the one who has to take pride land the pride rock and the pride lands back from scar because Clearly, things are not working now, and anything besides Scar would be a significant improvement. And so, you know, Scar and Simba fight, and as I said, you know, Scar tells him, I killed Mufasa, and Simba uses that, that sort of knowledge, the truth, galvanizes him into winning this fight, and he forces Scar to tell everyone what really happened. And we see early in the movie when Mufasa catches the hyenas, you know, he doesn't care about what they think or what they said or what they're doing. He just tells them to run and get away, get out of here. And it's it's great that Simba is kind of put in the same position where he has Scar and, you know, pinned underneath him paw on his throat and he makes Scar tell the truth and he makes Scar uh, sort of explain what really happened and, and you know again another great parallel in this movie so I don't know I just it's so interesting and like even if you consider The Lion King to be a, a watered down version of Hamlet which I don't, but even if you did, it's still vastly superior in complexity and in complexity to, to so many other films, uh, animated and live action alike. And I just, I love it so much. I love it so, so, so much. <laughs> so... This is a movie that means a lot to me. You know, the podcast is named after it. Uh, I use one of the songs in the general opening of my episodes. And it's just... Uh, for a long time, it was my favorite movie. Until... I think until The Nightmare Before Christmas took over. Uh, sort of in the early aughts. Uh, for me, this was my favorite movie ever. And it's still absolutely one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it has an insanely high level of rewatchability. And it's got an 8.5 on IMDb, which makes it the 49th highest rated film currently. It's got an 8. Point, or a 4.2 on Letterboxd, which makes it one of the best like the highest it's on the official letterbox top 250 currently ranked oh, it's gonna take me a little longer to find this one it's not quite as high uh, yes lying ranked 122nd on the letterboxed 
and it's just it's just it's just a masterpiece guys it's just a masterpiece and i'm This is the third time I've seen it in theaters after it had already been in theaters its originally first run. I saw it in IMAX when it came out in IMAX. I saw it in 3D, and then I saw it again over the weekend. Uh, so... Whew. Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of all I have to say about it today. Uh, so uh, we're gonna. That'll be it for today's episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you want to know more about the episode, about the podcast, about me, about the spreadsheet, Circle of Film Awards, Scavenger Hunt Superlatives, head over to circleoffilm.com. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she 